Hello, and welcome to the Future of Figure Skating, a podcast with the changemakers and visionaries who are making our sport healthier and more inclusive. My name is Anna Keller, and today I'm excited to be talking to two-time Olympian Caitlin Weaver. With her ice dance partner, Andrew Poget, Caitlin is a three-time world medalist, a two-time Four Continents champion, a two-time Grand Prix final champion, and a three-time Canadian national champion. Since retiring in 2019, Caitlin and Andrew have continued to skate in shows around the world. In addition to her impressive accomplishments on the ice, Caitlin is also a coach and choreographer, a commentator for the CBC, the founder of the nonprofit Open Ice Collective, and is working with Skate Canada and the ISU on improving the rules and systems of the sport. Caitlin also made history last year when she became only the second female Olympic figure skater to come out as queer. I am so inspired by Caitlin's energy and determination to make skating more fulfilling for athletes at every level, and I'm so excited to welcome her to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this. It's really exciting to get to talk to you. Uh, just to start off, what has been new with you? What's taking up your time these days? Oh, so many things. Um, so many things. First, officially, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be a member of your podcast crew. So for me, I live in New York City. I'm exploring what retirement looks like and what the next chapter looks like in pretty much every single way like <laughs> possible. Officially, I'm doing a lot more coaching and choreography than I ever thought I would. I'm teaching seminars. I teach a lot of the camp group things at Chelsea Piers. And I have a few different endeavors going on all, all at the same time. And I'm trying to like keep my head above water with all of these different things, but it's fun. It's fun. I'm, I, I'm really having a great summer and, and especially now that we have the pandemic at least a little bit in rear view. Um, it feels good to kind of get back to doing things that I love. And um, of course, still touring with Andrew when, whenever I can, but um, setting up shop here in New York and that feels good. You're going to Japan in a week or so, right? Yeah, one week, actually. So excited. It's been literal years since we've been to Japan, which Andrew pointed out yesterday is the longest time we've ever gone without being back since we first visited Japan in 2007. Wow. I mean, lucky for us to say that it it's a yearly trip, um, usually at least once, but we are so excited to be back in the Friends on Ice family. It feels normal and that feels good. That's great. Well, I'll be excited to watch when, when the videos start showing up on YouTube. And I want to talk to you about all of the different um, things that you're doing. But first off, I wanted to talk a little bit about one of the titles that you've got as a member of the very small group of out queer women in elite skating when you did decide to come out last year um what was your thought process for why you decided to do it then and what were some of the barriers to you doing so earlier oh yeah i um i feel a little bit like a late bloomer i understood i was queer in my early 20s took many years to believe it was real and accept that it might be something valid um, in my life. And um, so by my, by my late twenties, I was still competing and being out was never, never something that I considered as a competitive ice dancer. I never wanted to risk that being something that would harm us 
um, Andrew and, and me as a team. And, you know, as queer people, we're so aware of what people might think about us. And as an ice dancer, we also are aware <laughs> of what people might think about us because we're judged for a living. And and that just was not something I wanted to put into the mix. And not only was it something that I was fearful of, I just, I wasn't ready to accept it myself. And I think that when, when you come out, you know, you have to kind of be like armed for whatever's going to come at you. And, and when I did, when I did come out last year, it was so, so positive. And I'm really, really lucky to say that, but you never know until you do it. So it wasn't until the pandemic that, you know, I was harbored in my home and, um, I couldn't busy myself with skating anymore. I couldn't put it, I couldn't keep putting it on the back burner as something to eventually get to. And that's just even you know, referencing like self-acceptance, like at, at the very beginning, you know, we're talking like ground level, um, coming out steps. I, I have a, I have a very supportive network that was just like, you know, holding my hand literally the whole way through. And I knew that that was probably going to be the start. Um, when, when I, I had nothing else to do, but look inside and, and say, you know what, I, if I can speak to all of my friends and I, you know, I have this kind of like little mentor role now that I've retired, like with some people, like if I can look at them and say, love yourself and, you know, like your uniqueness and be proud of who you are. And I can't do that for myself. Then what kind of mentor am I, you know, having what, you know, the first word that comes to mind is idols, having idols like Karina Manta and Amber Glenn come out and, and I watch them just thrive and be so fully themselves i was just like what am i doing you know what am i waiting for and um i wasn't ready to go one more pride month without coming out and um so last year was the time it was just i was just ready still scary still nervous still trepidatious you know putting one foot in front of the other but it was time I did it in a way that I felt good about and I was ready to handle whatever backlash quote unquote might come at me. Um, again, it was not that much, which is so, I feel like very blessed to say that because that's not the reality for many, many, many people. And it, I can't believe it's only been a year. You know, I, it, it feels like a long time, which is a good feeling. It just really does change, change everything. Well, as one late bloomer to another, I definitely am happy that you got to have that good experience of it. It took me until 24 to figure out that I wasn't straight and another five years to figure out that I was non-binary. And so I kind of think, who knows what other, what other things I may learn about myself at some other point in my life. But I didn't even have the, the pressure of needing to decide whether to be public about it or not either. Just figuring it out for myself was, yeah. you know challenge. Well, thank you for being you and for coming out because you're amazing. But just kind of piggybacking on what you said, I have a platform. I have people that follow me because of my career. And I felt like it was my turn to stand up for my people. I had some people say, well, why, why did you feel like you needed to come out to the world? You know, like, why was that important? And I just think that we need more people to be visible. I think representation matters, visibility matters. And I wasn't going to hide anymore. You know, I felt like it was my responsibility almost to come out and 
be a femme ice dance woman and say, you know, we're here and we've always been here. There may not be many of us out, but we're here. It does seem like each person coming out makes it a little easier for the next person. I remember speaking to Amber about how important Karina was to her and just realizing there is that that pattern. What, if anything, you know, has changed in your life since coming out? Do you feel like it's changed your relationship to anything in your skating or any of the roles that you play? Absolutely. Well, first, when I came out, it felt like a big deal around me, but it was just one more little step in my journey, trying to like keep taking those baby steps. But the the change has been gradual. You know, I didn't come out and then everything was sunshine and rainbows and butterflies the next day. You know, it was just like, oh, okay, now what? Like, now everybody knows. Like, And I was expecting to feel some sort of relief and I didn't. So that was kind of interesting. But the first time I really felt a deep internal shift was when I got on the ice with Andrew. Um, and again, last last year we weren't really training that much. Like my life as, as far as what I have been through in my career was not normal yet last year. But I got on the ice with Andrew in Detroit where we used to train and I wore like a rainbow sweatshirt and we were like preparing for some show. And I got on the ice and I was like, okay, now it feels different because I'm bringing my full self to this training session, which maybe is like not that big a deal, but to me, that's been my life. And I've had to like step on the ice, not being my full self for, you know, 20 years. So to step on the ice with him in the context of a training environment, that's when I was like, whoa, this feels good. This feels different. And I always try and like rep pride gear whenever I'm in training centers because we just don't see that many queer women around. Um, so yeah, that, that, that was different. I think that it's been a gradual, you know, getting to know myself and that's affected everything that's affected my work, that's affected my relationships, that's affected what I want to do with my life. <laughs> it's given me the understanding that, you know, when, when you know yourself more, then you seek out things that fulfill that deep sense of connection. The more you go inward, the more you look for those like deeper connections. And so that's how I'm operating now in my life is, is looking for those things that are deeply fulfilling, less so what looks good from the outside. Because I've done the whole what looks good from the outside life and it's not that exciting <laughs> or fulfilling. And, um, and so I've, I've kind of like set that aside and, and um, despite you know worrying about what the skating world thinks, I've been like trying to really just do what feels good to me. And um, that's something that I think coming out has really impacted. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. You talked about representation. What other things do you think would help make the skating world a more accepting place for queer skaters? Oof, that's a tough one because skating is my first love and deepest passion. And yet it is so flawed and the structure of it is harmful to a lot of people. We can't speak about change in skating without talking about gender. It's a, a sport that is entrenched in the binary and you know that affects so many things and so many different people. And when we think about like the binary, then we think about classism and we think about racism and there's so many deep integral issues with skating being not accessible to so many people. 
And so it's hard to it's hard to kind of isolate one little group. You know, representation I think is huge, but also representation doesn't come from nowhere. I think that skating needs to look critically at the groups of people that are missing and then ask why. And um, we're not going to be able to do that, I think, until we have that conversation with the higher ups to say, like, is there a way that we can change the way that this sport looks? And I think that's when we'll start seeing more out queer people, more people of color on the ice, more um, you know, diverse groups that are missing from our sport. There's a certain tradition or perception that particularly to be a woman in skating that you need to show a certain kind of femininity and whether that whether that is or isn't you you know in your life outside of the ice that that's what's expected on the ice and those gendered expectations also play a role in keeping it a less welcoming space for well for many many people but for I think of that for queer women in particular yeah it's so isolating to people that don't fit the mold. For me, I do fit the mold. I'm cis, white, femme presenting person. And the the thing is, is that that's what was also um, celebrated about my appearance. And like, I did present this like, you know, the prince and the princess look, but then it's so isolating if you want to do something else. And it's like, you know, it's so scary to break outside of those gender roles. And I'm not about that. You know, I think that we can do that and we can honor um, where our sport has been and, you know, like the history of these, you know, ballroom waltzes and things, but also we can make space at the table for every everything else and every other type of presentation. I'm exploring that in my own life now, thinking like, what if I do butch it up a little bit more? What does that feel like? And, you know, it, and it's and it's fun and it's fun to bring that curiosity to the ice. And um, especially when I'm impacting young people in the sport as well, allowing people to move how they want to and not in the way that's like, you have to look pretty if you're a young girl, you know, like young woman, like you have to like, act or move or speak in a certain way because you're a figure skater. I'm, I just think that that's old and tired and we should be done with it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a harmful, it's a harmful thing to put on young people in the sport and I think it's isolating. It's like there's certainly nothing wrong with being femme or having, you know, telling certain types of stories or presenting yourself a certain way. It's just if that's your only choice and you have to do it, it's different than if you're, it's something that you're um, choosing to do because that's you know who you are and where you want to be. Yeah. And, and even if you don't want to do that, the thing is, is that it's not up to you. That's the sad part is that in competitive figure skating, you don't get to make those choices for yourself. It, the value of your presentation is in the hands of other people that you don't even know, that don't even know you at all. Like that's probably you've never even had a conversation with. And that's hard to not want to risk your career being impacted by how you move in the world. And when you're a young person that that's put on throughout your whole life, you also have all of this history behind you. You don't want to like put that to waste. Like my family gave up so much just for me to be here. And I'm never going to risk that 
for them or for my partner or for myself and everything I've been through. So I'm just going to stick to what people like. I'm going to stick to what I know is going to work. And that's an issue, I think. <laughs> so now that you're doing so much choreography, how is how is the, what you were just saying sort of showing up in your choreography as well, since you're sort of playing that mediating role between the skater and how they're perceived and how they move and what kind of stories they're telling. Yeah, I, I, um, I'm having so much fun with that. And I really love connecting to the skaters and bringing something out of them, hopefully that they maybe didn't know that they are capable of that can show up in their music choice that can show up in their choreography that can show up in how we communicate as a skater. I always wanted to do something a little bit different. And maybe that was like my queerness coming through that I like, despite, you know, all of these like pressures to be the pretty princess, like I always wanted to like do something a little bit different. Um, it's, it's fun exploring everybody's style, including my own and, and feeling limitless in those options. And I, I want them to feel like they can have any choice and all of those are valid and I will help them create that feeling on the ice. It's about to me what, how the program makes you feel. And that has nothing to do with gender or style or presentation. It's, it's about getting to know the kids and helping them feel like they're the strongest version of themselves, whatever, whatever that might look like. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit about Skate and Sculpt um, and how you got involved with that project and why that's something that you wanted to be a part of? Yes, I love Skate and Sculpt so much. Um, also, I apologize to the listeners for my sandpaper voice. <laughs> Skate and Sculpt is partially to blame. Um, <laughs> so Skate and Sculpt is an on-ice exercise community um, founded by one of my very, very best friends, Ashley Wagner, who all of the listeners probably know and hopefully are fans of. We've been friends for since the day we met, basically, in, in 2012. She's, yeah, one of my closest allies. So she uh, founded this community and does a lot of exercise-based healthy living on ice programs. And, um, and what I love is that she's tapping into a community of skaters that don't feel like they belong on the ice anymore. And that's, you know, people that skated when they were young or, you know, skated up until they went to college or haven't been on the ice in 10 years, or maybe want to get back on the ice, or maybe they do, but they don't really feel like they have a structure to follow when they get onto a session because it's hard to find a place for most of us when there's like a hundred little 12 year olds running around and you're trying to stay out of everybody's way. What I love is that she creates a safe, accepting place for all of those people that just want to get back on the ice again because they love it. Ashley's brought the class to New York. I've taken the class. I love it. And now we've developed this sister class called Rhythm, um, which is my creation and kind of little brainchild, which is like a dance class on ice. So what I love about New York is hopping into a drop-in dance class of all different styles and just learning and jamming and vibing and having so much fun. And I wanted to create that same atmosphere on the ice. I'm so proud to be under the Skate and Sculpt umbrella because I really believe in everything that it does for the community. And I can bring my own little spin to it too. And um, goes with what I was saying before, let, allow people the space to feel like they're total badasses 
And um, if I can help them find that in an hour, then it's a success. So I'm really excited about uh, the future of that and, and just supporting Skate and Sculpt and Ashley in general, because I think it's a great, it's a great initiative and hopefully it keeps growing. Yeah, I was excited to see um, how it has grown. I took the class last December and I was shocked at there were 40 people on our rink. Um, it was very crowded, but still she made it work. I had only ever seen like 10 of those people before and I skate in that rink all the time. It was people who were really coming back to the ice for the first time or the first time in a long time. And it was, yeah, really inspiring to see and realizing in talking to her just how similar the experience is, even for someone you know who, like me who skated as a kid, but at a very low level and you know was never competitive. But I had a sort of similar experience of feeling like I was aging out even somebody who's been to the Olympics could still have that feeling of, oh, maybe I don't belong here anymore. And realizing how common that experience is across just so many people is sad. And so it's nice that there's starting to be more alternatives and ways for people to get on the ice and take up that space. Yeah, I love it. And I, and I love that it's very accessible. You don't have to have any experience to do the class and feel like you can work out, move your body and, and really bring people back to what they love most. You know, maybe skating has been hard in your past, but what we all love is the skating, right? Not the system. I'm so grateful that she's pursued this and really built it to be hopefully a lasting thing. Speaking of the system, one of the other projects that you're taking on is now you're on the ISU Technical Committee for Ice Dance. Very exciting to have you as the skater representative there. What kinds of things are you excited to be working on in that role or looking ahead to? And maybe I, I suppose I should ask you first to say a little bit about what the Technical Committee does. So that I know I had to learn a little bit to understand that. Yeah, so did I. <laughs> okay, so the Ice Dance Technical Committee is a group of individuals um, within the ISU, our governing body, that make all of the rules for our discipline. And that is four or five people that are voted. And then there's a skater representative that is um, appointed and a coach representative that is appointed. You know, I didn't get like voted in. I got appointed the position because I was speaking with Sean Redstat, who is now the chair. So he's the big boss of the Ice Dance Technical Committee. And we were just speaking about, you know, what options I have now that I'm at this crossroads. And this was uh, a year ago that we were talking and he's like, you know what, I think you should consider this. I think this might be good. And we all say, you know, in the privacy of our home, like, well, when I'm in the ISU, this is what we're going to change. And now it's like, well, I got to put my money where my mouth is. Like we've been saying, there's, there's a lot of change that needs to happen. And so now I'm excited to be in the room. You know, I don't know what power I will have um, because, uh, again, this is a group of people from around the world, um, but I want to represent. I want to be a voice for the future of our sport. Whatever that means, I, I will I will try and and um, represent the the queer people, the people of color, the you know, the underrepresented groups within our sport, because we need to be talking about it. Things on, you know, from the top of my mind that are important we have the rhythm dance every year that is 
prescribed rhythms that we have to skate to. Uh, we, for, formerly we, the ice dancers have to skate to. And sometimes those can be really harmful. Last year, the rhythm was, it started out being quote unquote urban. And that was changed to street dance. And I think all of these words are really racist and really harmful because what, what do we mean? You know, when we're choosing rhythms like hip hop, jazz, funk, reggae, they're, they're all rhythms that originate from black culture. I think that um, our choices need to be mindful of EDNI practices. I want to want to make sure that women are not treated any less lesser than than men. I think that ice dance in general, personally, should be between two skaters of any and all genders. You know, I, I think that there's change that needs to happen in the sport, and whether that happens in my four years of being in this tech committee, I don't know but I want to start talking about it in a real way, in the room, in the ISU. I think it's time. And um, I probably won't make many friends, but I'm going to keep doing it because that's what this sport needs to survive. Really exciting that you'll have that base to start having some of those conversations. In my research for the podcast, I actually went back and listened to like 90% of the last ISU Congress, which um, was a somewhat intense uh, process, but actually very interesting. Wow. Bless you, Anna. But one of the things that it made me realize was how slow progress is, but that there's certainly a lot of lip service being given to the idea that things need to change, that there's, especially when it comes to, you know, aspects of judging, there's a lot of conversation around that something needs to change. That's at least a place to start. It would be one thing if they were all saying, no, everything, everything's great. What are you talking about? That the, the sport's doing just fine as it is. There are those people too. <laughs> um, yeah. I think, I think that it, it definitely is slow and, and I don't know what the reason for that is. You know, I think that we can start changing and changing now. And there's a lot of people in the ISU. Also, we, we share the ISU with speed skating. So that's a whole different ball game, you know, that we have to like move forward with. I think that we need more people to stand up and say, no, this is what, this is the things that needs to change and we need to do it now. And, um, you know, that's in, that's in so many different areas of the sport, but I'm happy and proud to be one of those people. There were a number of proposals that were getting put forward for ways of trying to improve judging for PCS. Um, like that was the logic for the reducing from five to three components and eliminating the penalties for having um, marks too far outside of the PCS corridor. But there were also the proposals for splitting yeah. the panel between GOE and PCS judges um, and some interesting ideas for, you know, how to change the, the factor by which it's multiplied and all of these sort of different potential technical fixes, but it all sort of had in common this sense that PCS judging isn't, isn't necessarily accurately reflecting what's happening on the ice, whether because the judges are don't have enough time and brain capacity to process it or because they're making bias choices or some combination of those things. It was interesting to see that there are some proposals that are going to go into effect and some other things on the table. And I was curious if you have thoughts about what combination of approaches might start to get at that question of PCS. Yeah. 
Um, you bring up so many great points. Um, I'll, I'll preface by saying that I think that being a judge is a very, very difficult job. I can't imagine, you know, sitting on a panel at the world championships or even at the hopscotch open and being like, okay, let me try and figure out how, how you know, how to do this. It just sounds really difficult. However, part of me is like, I hate to say it a little bit of a pessimist when we talk about trying to make all these continued changes, because at the end of the day, we still see bias. We still see alliances. We still see these behind closed doors things that happen and and or even not even behind closed doors sometimes like out in the open and it's like how can we have trust in the system and we can change all these factors and multiplication and blah 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 when at the end of the day people are going to sit down and still do what they've agreed to do with the federation or with the coaches or i'm not going to say that those things don't happen of course they do and in particular with ice dance it comes down to these teeny tiny GOEs. The difference is so small, you know, like people aren't falling on quads. Everyone skates a clean program at the end of the day in ice dance. So, you know, I understand why the PCS was changed from five to three. So we can see some difference because it all ends up being within the 7.25, 7.5, 7.25 and seven. You know, it all ends up being within the same corridor, as you said. I don't know if that's going to, if that's going to fix it. I'm, I'm, curious to see if that does. I think that the judges need to be held accountable for their marks. I think that we should personally have a system where we can challenge marks because at the end of the day, when they put those scores in, they're done. And these are people's lives that they're, that they're affecting. Like your life changes if you win or like, these are things that we'll never forget till the day we die. Like these experiences, and the judge can walk away and go maybe like be told that their marks were off and then they go home and live the rest of their lives. And it's like, you know, gymnastics, you can challenge. And I think you can in skating, but it's like at a cost and you don't want to upset people. And what if like, then you look like you're rocking the boat. And it's like, no, I think we need to be holding these judges and tech panels accountable. And that if we don't have room for that, then there's not a lot of faith in the system, no matter how many changes we make. Um, and finally, the one thing that I think would be really cool to see, um, referencing the rhythm dance in particular, is some professionals in the field judging. Is that a tango? Is that actually a good representation of a tango? And someone that is a professional in tango will be able to differentiate between different interpretations. So it's not like, oh, only the Argentinian style is going to, going to be rewarded. You know, these people, I can't even begin to think of the vetting process, but wouldn't that be interesting if we could really judge ice dance based on the dance and not just say like, oh, that kind of looked like a tango because there are people that do do the research. There are skaters and coaches in training centers that do the research to not be appropriating dances and styles and pieces of music. And then there are people that don't and they just go out and skate to whatever piece of music and it's on global television and it's harmful and it doesn't help our sport. So if there's people that can say, this was a great representation of tango. Maybe they did no elements and they got last, but this was dance and this was not and have that factor into the score. I think that would be really interesting. You're going to judge the skating skills as a thing separate from your presentation 
than the mm. dance skills or the representation of the dance style. It's like its own separate category. And like you're saying, it's they don't necessarily have to be tied together. You could have somebody who has fantastic skating skills, but is doing a terrible program. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I just always think back to the travesty that is Domnina Chavalin. And, mm. and it's like, how did we get there? And we'll never live that down. Our sport will never live that down, particular ice dance. And it's just like, we need to be better. For our future baby ice dancers, we need to be better so that we can see more people represented. Because I think by doing that, by being accountable and by, and by having people properly judge these different styles, we're gonna end up seeing better quality skating, more equitable, more diverse, more inclusive stories. And if that investment's made at the elite level, it's also, I mean, this stuff all trickles down too. just thinking of, you know, how many truly horrendous um, juvenile belly dance programs that I've seen and things that it's just, I'm thinking like, oh God, this is so, so disrespectful to the culture and the tradition that it's coming from because they're not even thinking of it as that. They're thinking of it as an imitation of the other skating program that they saw that had that style and so it's many degrees removed from its origins at that point yeah and, and real quick i'm i'm on the skate canada's equity diversity and inclusion working group and and we talk about that like how can we create that change how can we inspire those coaches you know in the in small clubs um that may not be seeing olympic champions but that's okay you know, everybody in skating matters. How can we inspire these people to think about their choices differently? You know, I think it comes down to having our officials, our coaches, our judges trained in EDI. And that's something that I propose to different higher ups of different organizations, not Skate Canada. Skate Canada's, you know, doing great, trying really hard. And the answer is like, well, not everyone's, no one's going to do that. And that just isn't good enough for me. I think that we we really need to try. We really need to try even for the people that we think won't sit down at their computer and listen to a conversation that might open their brain. You know, we have to we have to try and give people a chance. And um, I think then then we might be seeing those programs rewarded differently. And I think that will affect, you know, the trickle down theory and, and the types of things that we see at the club level, too. Certainly. I wanted to ask about the Open Ice Collective and the um, really interesting work that you've been able to do there. So what is the Open Ice Collective and what are you hoping to do with it? Thanks. Thanks for bringing that up. So Open Ice started during the pandemic when I was sitting on my couch wondering what, what, what was I going to do to help this global crisis? And I didn't know what that was, but I saw uh, an example of someone creating change and that was Rosie O'Donnell and she hosted all of these Broadway legends and they raised millions of dollars for COVID relief. And I was like, you know what, maybe I could do something like that. I've got a lot of time. I've got a lot of friends. Maybe let's, let's see if we can have a fundraiser. So with the help of Jordan Cowan of On Ice Perspectives, I created and hosted this four hour live stream global fundraiser for the UN foundation. And we raised $60,000 and I had over 50 guests on this thing and it was just wild how it all unfolded. And um, and it just was like, wow, that was really fun. And we, we came together as a community and we connected in a time that everybody was feeling so alone. And um, it felt good for me, it felt good for my guests and hopefully it was kind of fun to watch. And then at the end of the day, we donated a lot of money 
I think in sport, in this sport in particular, we're so independent. We're so, you know, fighting for number one and we're taught that we can't trust anybody and, you know, Canadians stick to hanging out with the Canadians and the Japanese stick to hanging out with the Japanese and why can't we all be friends? <laughs> um, so that's that was the impetus behind the Open Ice Collective. And so after this live stream, I wanted to keep going. And so I founded a nonprofit called the Open Ice Collective. And, and what I want to do with it is create space for our community to come together, to learn and to grow and to tell stories and share and connect. If we can do that while helping people that need it in this world, then that's what is like deeply fulfilling for me. And so the second project was Open Ice Visionaries, which is a documentary that I produced, which I don't know who gave me the right to believe that I could like make a film, <laughs> but I we figured it out. We had this little, little teeny tiny group um, production crew that that put this together and it was awesome and I was able to interview Adam Rippon, Elaj Balde, Kara Corpy and Scott Hamilton of all people and I wanted to uh, tell these stories of people that you know may not have won the gold medal I know Scott did but have fought through a lot of shit and have overcome so many obstacles and now are these legends in our in our world and how did they get there? You know, how do you become a legend and and create all of this change? And um, they all have such unique stories, but they came together in a really beautiful way that, you know, at the end of the day, they they learned who they are first. And, um, you know, we're, we're proud of, of where they come from and and we're able to take those experiences and and say, you know, what, I don't want this to be the case for people coming after me. I just gave myself chills. It was like, I just remembering that process of hearing all these stories was really moving. And so we created this documentary. It's on CBC Gem. If you're in Canada, it's on YouTube as well. And um, we raised for that too. Each of those visionaries had their own their own charity that, that they raised money for. And so those are the two projects that we've had now in the works and looking to see what's next. And there's so many places where we can put our attention in this world. So many people that need help. I'm thinking that the next, the next, project will be something super queer because nothing sounds gayer than open ice. <laughs> That's where I want to go next. And obviously there's a lot, a lot of queer things happening in my life right now. And, and I feel like it's time that we bring these queer icons together. So that's probably what's going to be next, but uh, I just want to keep moving in this space of, um, you know, creating community and safety for people in our sport, um, no matter who they are, how they identify, where they come from. Hopefully we can start to really bring this community together in a powerful way. The Open Ice Visionaries is really fantastic. I think you do such a nice job of having these four very different people talk about what, what skating has meant to them, the parts that have been good and the parts that have been bad, what they've taken from both of that. And yeah, I thought it was it was really fantastic. And um, I hope that you yeah do more more projects and more more TV productions or films or whatever you want to do. Thanks. I really enjoyed it. And I think that that's I'm learning as well. You know, I'm learning about things that that feel good to me. And, and thank you for saying that. It, it's nice to hear that it's reached people on a deep level. So if I can keep doing that, that'd be a dream job. So we'll see. I, there's something coming coming down the pipeline separate to open ice, but talking about skating in a in a deeper way. And and um, so hopefully we can keep telling these stories that people don't hear, you know, and if we can keep doing that, I think skating can be a better place.
Yeah, and there's people within skating and various places in the skating world, you know, need to hear it and, and see how much diversity there is already within skating and also seems so important for the casual fan who may have a pretty one-sided or outdated idea of what skating is to be able to understand that as well. When you're working on this kind of project that, you know, could have a wide audience or your commentary work, what do you want people who, you know, may just be casually aware of figure skating to know about this sport? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is that it's the best sport ever. <laughs> I love skating so much. Um, so I, I, I hope that I can convey my passion um, and enthusiasm for this sport because I think it's so wonderful. Um, what The other things that I want people to know is that there's space for everybody, not not to be redundant, but, you know, there are things that need that need to change. But I hope that people can have positive experiences within the sport in whatever way that that is for you, you know, on, on or off the ice. I think that if someone watching can be inspired by a performance and I can help them, you know, empower them <laughs> by, you know, by com commenting about like the athletes and what's possible and, you know, like how, if I can, if I can inspire anybody, you know, I think that would be a positive thing. Um, and, you know, in the context of skating, you know, my, my biggest passion, I think that would be cool. So I just want to be a, a positive light in the, in the skating world. I think. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing. I mean, across so many different aspects of the skating world and really all of your many, many projects, <laughs> you're already making uh, a difference to how people see the sport and the space that there is in it for everyone. It's really something that I admire a lot and I hope that, yeah, lots of success to all of these projects in the future. Thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. and. More to come, onwards and upwards. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with the amazing Caitlin Weaver. You can look at the show notes for links to many of Caitlin's projects and follow her at KA2SH on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks so much to Caitlin and also thanks to Erica Rand and Evan Murray for their help with this episode. You can reach me with comments or suggestions for topics and people I should talk to by email at fsfuturepodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram and Twitter at futurefspodcast. Remember to subscribe to the Future of Figure Skating on whatever platform you use and share it with your friends. Thanks for listening.